of My Favorite Movies, the podcast in which I count down my 100 favorite movies week by week. And I am, as always, your host, Chris. So on the previous episode, we covered numbers 14 and 13 on my list of my 100 favorite movies. That was Eraserhead and Holy Motors. On today's episode, we will be covering number 12 on my list of my 100 favorite movies. That's City of God the 2002 Brazilian crime film that is currently streaming on Netflix. And we are also talking about number 11 on my list of my 100 favorite movies, Me and You and Everyone We Know, the 2005 romantic comedy from Miranda July. Unfortunately, that one's not streaming anywhere. As always, I put the time codes in the episode description if you would like to skip ahead. And on the next episode of My Favorite Movies, we are finally cracking the top 10. We'll talk about number 10 and number 9 on my list. Number 10 is Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. That's a 2010 action comedy uh, co-written, produced, and directed by Edgar Wright, a director we've already talked about twice on this list when we discussed Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. That is currently streaming on Netflix, and if you have not seen it, obviously, I highly recommend it. And also on the next episode, we will discuss number nine on my list of my 100 favorite movies, A Ghost Story. A Ghost Story is a 2017 supernatural drama written and directed by David Lowry. And A Ghost Story is also streaming on Netflix. So there you go. Scott Pilgrim vs. the World and A Ghost Story. And that's on the next episode, and those are both streaming on Netflix. So since the last episode, I have watched a few movies, of course. I watched Halloween 6. That's uh, The Curse of Michael Myers. Not as good as I remember. I saw the original Mad Max. Fine. I watched the Halloween 6 producer's cut, which is a little bit better, Um, but it is very weird. That's the whole Cult of Thorn thing. They really go, like, all in on the producer's cut. Like, there's, like, people dressed up in cult outfits, people, you know, being sacrificed, and um, spoiler alert for uh, Halloween 6, the producer's cut. I'll just talk about it for maybe 10 seconds. Uh, Someone stops Michael Myers with runes, rocks. He puts uh, some rocks down on the ground and smears some blood, and Michael Myers just stops and doesn't pursue him. Spoiler alert over. But isn't that wild? I saw Resident Evil Retribution, not sure why. I'm just watching all the Resident Evil movies, because why not? However, that one is pretty good. That one... I don't know how deep into the series it is. It's probably like number six or seven or something. They've made a lot of those movies. But this one like brings back a lot of people from the previous sequels and uses them in interesting ways. It's very weird. It's just fair. It's as far as like a sequel goes, it, it does a lot of cool stuff. It's it's fine. I saw the original The Manchurian Candidate. Pretty good. I rewatched Halloween H2O. Not as great as I remembered. I saw Resident Evil, the final chapter. Again, 
Not sure why, but, uh, you know, I watched them all. I can say that, right? How many people can say they watched all the Resident Evil films? Not many of you, I would say. So, ha. And lastly, um, last night I watched a little movie called The Hunger. It's Tony Scott's directorial debut. It's got Catherine Deneuve. I hope I'm saying her name right. David Bowie and Susan Sarandon. Strange movie. The early 80s. Pretty wild. All right, that's pretty much everything I've watched, so I guess I will recommend a movie. And, you know, right now, as I'm, right I'm, as I'm about to recommend it, I feel like I've recommended this a long time ago. So I guess it doesn't matter. If you haven't seen it already, currently streaming on Amazon Prime is the original The Taking of Pelham 123. And that, my friends, is a very, very, very good movie. Hey, speaking of Tony Scott, didn't he direct that one? The remake? I mean, not not the original. Uh, but the remake with Denzel Washington, it just seems like a very, you know, Denzel, Tony Scott type of movie. I could be wrong. Anyway, the original, the OG, The Taking of Pelham 123, starring Walter Matthau. It's very good, and it is currently streaming on Amazon Prime. All right, let's get to the first movie. Talking about number 12 on my list of my 100 favorite movies of all time, City of God. City of God, as I mentioned before, is a 2002 Brazilian crime film co-directed by Fernando Moreyes and Katia Lund. Sorry, probably butchered those names. I'm very sorry. It was released in Brazil in 2002 and released worldwide in 2003. Uh, It was adapted from a novel, but the plot is loosely based on real events, according to this Wikipedia article that I'm reading. But according to Wikipedia, it depicts the growth of organized crime in the City of God suburb of Rio de Janeiro. It's between the end of the 60s and the beginning of the 80s, with the closure of the film depicting the war between the drug dealer, blah, 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 and the blah, 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 blah. We'll get into that later. (laughs) The tagline, if you're interested, is, if you run, the beast catches you. If you stay, the beast eats you. I honestly did not take a lot of notes on this one because I haven't seen this thing in probably over 10 years, I would say. I mean, it has been a long time since I've seen this movie. And I was just completely invested in it. I I, I did not want to take any notes, essentially. So I'm very sorry about that. I'll try to get through some of them, but uh, I didn't take a lot. And maybe I could go through some of the plot, but I just I just feel like you really need to see this movie. I realize it's subtitled. I also realize that um, it's on Netflix, and I don't know if there is a dubbed option. I could be wrong, but I'm not sure if it's dubbed on there. So check out the movie City of God, currently on Netflix. It's like a little over two hours, and it's just so entertaining. Just so, so entertaining. Let's see what few... Yeah, see, the first... I'm looking at the first note, and I know for sure this is like halfway into the movie. So, I don't know, let's, um, let's maybe go through some of the plot via Wikipedia. So, really, the film, I mean, it, it follows different people. It's like there's different stories being told, and it's all being told sort of out of order. A lot of times there are cool moments where it's like, and, you know, this character is going to be really important later, but right now it's not time to talk about them, blah, 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 you know, stuff like that. You know, it starts in the 60s in the City of God when... The place is a lot less developed. You know, the streets aren't paved. People don't drive through there. 
you know, it's just like a small project. There's no electricity there. When, you know, in the late 60s, they got their first, like, light pole put up there, um, which is kind of cool to see. But the first part of the movie talks about the tender trio. That's Shaggy, Clipper, and Goose. Goose is Rocket's older brother. Now, Rocket is really the character we're going to follow most of this movie. But at the very beginning, we're really just kind of talking about the tender trio. But what the tender trio does, they will rob businesses or maybe like a a gas truck that's driving through, which doesn't happen a lot, I guess, uh, because it's a little dangerous to drive through there because you're going to get held up by the tender trio. And then, you know, the tender trio turns around and just gives a bunch of the gas out to the community. Uh, They pay some of the community members. And in turn, those people help hide the trio from the police. There's another young boy in the community named Lil Dice, and he kind of gives the Tinder Trio the idea to hold up a motel, and they do. They steal a bunch of money from a hotel, uh, but Lil Dice is the lookout, and he makes the signal that the police are coming, so the trio runs away. Eventually, you know, the police are coming after them. One of the trio joins the church. Uh, One of the trio, Shaggy, tries to uh, leave the city of God, uh, and he gets gunned down. And uh, Goose, Rocket's older brother, he uh, finds Lil Dice. You know, they couldn't find Lil Dice after that motel robbery. And Lil Dice shoots down Goose. Then we move on to the 70s. Rocket has grown up a little bit. He's hanging out with a bunch of hippie people. uh, And he's really into this one girl... Angelica. <laughs> I haven't seen this movie in 10 years, over 10 years. Anyway, there's a bunch of little kids running around the city of God. They're called the Runts. They're holding people up. Uh, Lil Dice has grown up, now calls himself Lil Zay. And he is basically, he's been growing up like holding people up, but he figures out that he needs to start selling drugs. That's where all the money is. So. Lil Zay just starts eliminating all the other drug dealers around the city of God, except for one of them, who's a good friend of his best friend, Benny, who was Shaggy's little brother, by the way. Eventually, like, Lil Zay is, like, running the whole city of God. And then you find out that when he was younger, when he was Lil Dice and he was doing the hotel lookout for the Tender Trio, and he, you know, shot to say the police were coming, uh, the police were not coming. Lil Dice just was a little uh, psychopath and had a bloodthirst. And it's what he did. He signaled that the cops were coming so that the tender trio would leave. They did. But then he went into the hotel and proceeded to shoot everybody. And so when the police show up, they think the tender trio not only robbed everybody, but also killed everybody, you know? And that's why the police were after them so hardcore, because there was just a huge massacre. And for some reason, they didn't find out until much later, you know, the tender trio. Anyway, Lil Zay is running the whole city of God, rockets into Angelica, but uh, Angelica starts dating Benny, who is Lil Zay's, like, best friend. Benny is trying to be more like a little hippie kid with Rocket and stuff, but, you know, Benny and Angelica fall in love, and so Benny is going to leave the city of God, and he has a little farewell party, And there's like a big uh, altercation there. And someone, while trying to assassinate Lil Zay, accidentally shoots and kills Benny. It's very upsetting. So now that Benny is dead, Lil Zay 
wants to eliminate the rest of the drug competition because his friend Carrot, Benny's friend Carrot, is basically the only other drug dealer that Lil Zay wasn't going to kill him because of Benny, and now that Benny's dead, he can kill him. So, at some time in the movie, uh, the runts get in trouble with Lil Zay. So there is a scene where Lil Zay finds the runts. Most of them run away except for two of them. And Lil Zay basically, like, taunts them and says, hey, like, you're not supposed to steal here. This is my city. Um, So I'm going to give you a choice. Uh, You can choose your hand or your foot. Uh, I'm going to shoot one of them. So you choose. And that scene is super upsetting because that the kids in that scene, A, are like five or six. One of them has got to be like three or four, and one is probably like seven or eight. I, I'm terrible at guessing ages. But yeah, one, one kid is just so young, and he's crying. He's very upset. And um, they both like give out their hands to say like, yeah, I, I choose you to shoot my hand. And he turns around, and he just like shoots their foot, their feet. And uh, very upsetting. They're crying. And then he tells this one kid who has been like running errands for him and stuff. This is how they recruit little kids in the city of God. And he tells him, all right, kid, you you get to choose. Which one are you going to kill? And he chooses which one to kill, and he does. And it's just very upsetting. And that scene really got me this time. I mean, it is incredibly hard to watch. And it's incredibly well-performed. Especially little – I don't know how they got those little kids to convincingly cry. I mean, that kid was – in a lot of pain. I don't know what was going on on set, but gosh, I don't know. At some point, Rocket and his friend, they're um, they're taking the bus somewhere, and they're, they want to rob it to make some money. Um, but they meet the guy who's on the bus taking the money and stuff. His, uh, his name is Knockout Ned. And he's really nice to them, and he's basically like, hey, guys, you guys got to go to school and stuff. I went to school. I went to the army and blah, 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 did all this stuff. And he, just, he, he wants them to stay out of trouble. And they were like really just taken with him and and they decided they weren't going to rob the bus and they also said like hey knockout ned uh he was a or knockout ned he says you know and i i learned to fight i'm a great fighter blah 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 and then the narration says something like uh little did he know that he was going to have to fight soon blah 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 but it's not time for that story yet very cool at some point, Rocket meets some girls, and they give him one of the girls gives him her number. And then later, they're taking a taxi with someone who they're talking about robbing because he's from a different part. He's not from the city of God. He was just like passing through, asking for directions. And they were like, "We're gonna, we're gonna give him directions. Say we're going there, but we're gonna rob him." Uh, so they get in, but then the driver's like, "You guys like weed? I got some weed here. You want to roll it up, anybody?" Uh, and then Rocket, he's like, "I can do it," and he starts rolling a joint, and he says. I'm an ace at rolling a joint. If only I were that good at getting girls. Uh, And he's saying this as it shows him accidentally, like, the paper he pulled out of his pocket to roll the joint was the girl's number. So he, like, rolls up the girl's number and lights it up. And it's uh, kind of funny. And then there's a real fake-out moment where, like, they talk about taking care of this guy and robbing him or whatever. And then they show, like, some cops in a field and they're like, oh, the body's over here. And, and it makes you think that maybe they actually killed him or something. But no, they were just driving by that. And they're like, ooh. Anyway, these are, I, this is a note I took. I don't know why I had to say it, but I took the note. Anyway, back to Lil Zay. He's going to go and kill the last drug dealer, Carrot. Uh, on the way, uh, he runs into Knockout Ned, who he had run into at the party, I should say. Benny's farewell party, he was taunting knockout ned because he wanted to dance with this girl but knockout ned's girl kind of distals and was like no i don't want to dance with you look at you 
which was kind of a sad moment, but he's also a horrible person, so you can't feel too bad, but... So at that party, he made, like, Knockout Ned, like, strip down naked and dance, because, oh, you're, he's like, you're such a good dancer, why don't you get naked and dance for us? And So now, on the way to Carrots to Kill Him, Lil Zay runs into Knockout Ned and the girl, and they attack them both, and some horrible, horrible things happen, and um, they they left both of them alive and knockout Ned is he went back to his family's house and he's just like he's distraught over what happened and he's just like why didn't why didn't he just kill me and then you cut to Lil Zay and he has like a little moment and he like thinks and he's like wait why didn't I kill that guy come on let's go back everybody and they all turn around and start heading back to knockout Ned's they go to knockout Ned's family's place and they're like why don't you come on out Ned's brother comes out and he's like, hey, leave my older brother alone. He's a very peaceful person. And they're like, why don't you get your brother to come out here? And his little brother's like, okay, fine. And he turns around, but then pulls out a knife and then tries to stab at Lil Zay, which he does. But then all those guys, there are probably like 20 guys in Lil Zay's gang there. They all like open fire on the house. They kill the little brother. They kill uncle or something. Um, You know, people die and it's very sad. And basically, this starts like a huge gang war because Lil Zay was trying to kill Carrot, ended up starting a huge war because of this Knockout Ned stuff. Knockout Ned joined Carrot's crew because Carrot's like, hey, we can protect you and, and, you know, we want to kill Lil Zay too. We know you do, so why don't you join us? We'll protect you. We can all go kill him. And then it's just like a huge war that goes on in the City of God for a while. And the place just gets more and more dangerous um, meanwhile, Rocket, you know, he has a camera now. Earlier in the movie, when one of the Tender Trio gets shot down, someone comes and is taking pictures, like, you know, some press guy. And Rocket was, like, very much taken with the photographer and the camera. I mean, that's when he wanted to start being a photographer, which is sort of a running thing in this movie, by the way. So at some point, Lil Zay wants his picture taken, and so somebody gets Rocket to come take a picture of him. Rocket, who is working at the newspaper, uh, gets those pictures developed due to a, a favor by someone. And then those people accidentally put the pictures in the paper. And Rocket thinks that Lil Zay is going to be pissed and is going to kill him. He's like, I can't go back to the city of God anymore. And uh, But he doesn't know that Lil Zay is like so happy that he's in the paper because he's like, hey, I want people to know like this is my city, blah, 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 blah. But now the newspaper wants Rocket to go back in there and get more pictures and stuff. They give him some lenses. He can take better photographs. Meanwhile, this whole gang war stuff is going on. At some point, Knockout Ned and Carrot, they're like robbing banks and stuff. And Knockout Ned shoots a security guard. Uh, Later in the movie, now we're getting towards the end and stuff, so spoiler alerts. Uh, This little kid uh, shoots and kills Knockout Ned uh, because he joined the cause because he wanted to kill the guy that killed his father. Turns out, in a little flashback, you learn that that was Knockout Ned. His father was the security guard at that bank. Huge wars going on. Rocket's getting a lot of great pictures. Uh, Eventually, the police come in and take down Lil Zay, arrest him. They arrest Carrot. A little bit later, they drive somewhere and they let Lil Zay out. Lil Zay bribes him with a bunch of money, and they're like, okay, fine, you're out of here. You can go. And then they leave. The cops leave. Rocket's taking pictures of all these things. And then the runts come and sort of surround Lil Zay. And Lil Zay is like, okay, we need to, we need to fight back. We got to rebuild and blah, blah, blah. And the runts are like, what? We're not going to take orders from you. And they just end up killing this guy. 
Lil Zay. Again, Rocket getting pictures of all this, getting pictures of the the corruption with him paying off the police, getting pictures of the people that killed Lil Zay. And then he goes and takes pictures of the bodies of Lil Zay. And all this stuff gets published in the paper. And at the very end, you learn that Rocket was uh, based on a real-life photographer. And a lot of this movie was true. And during the credits, you see some footage. Um, there's a part earlier in the movie where Knockout Ned is like interviewed while he's in prison, uh, where he was for like a short spell, before he got busted out, which is kind of a cool scene. But in the closing credits, you see that actual footage of the real Knockout Ned saying word for word what he said in the movie. About how, like, the cops come after him, but they don't come after Lil Zay, stuff like that. And those are the notes that I took on City of God. I realized that some of it was just me saying, this movie's great, I like this part. But then most of that was just me recounting the plot poorly. Look, I can't stress it enough, you really have to watch this movie. It is very, very good. It was nominated for four Academy Awards in 2004, including Best Cinematography... Best Director, Best Film Editing, and um, Best Adapted Screenplay. Uh, My favorite scene in City of God, I do not know. Most of that movie is just so good. It starts off a little better than it ends, maybe? I don't know. Don't have a favorite scene, I'm very sorry. Would it move up or down? I think it's pretty good where it is. I think this is one of the best movies I've seen recently. And maybe part of that is because I haven't watched it in 10 years. I don't know. But I really did enjoy City of God, even more than I was expecting to, for whatever reason, even though it is like so high on my list. Okay, next up on my favorite movies, we have number 11. Me and you and everyone we know. Me and you and everyone we know, as I said earlier, is a 2005 romantic comedy drama written and directed by Miranda July. She also stars in it, opposite John Hawks. And this was the first major studio production for Miranda July. She previously did self-produced short films and performance art. Um, But yeah, this was distributed by IFC Films and produced by Film 4. So I love the music in this movie. It's by Michael Andrews. Uh, If that name is a little familiar to you, maybe it's... He's the guy that did the music for Donnie Darko. I don't know if that would mean anything to you, but I remember listening to that soundtrack when I first saw that movie. (laughs) Yeah, the music's great. Michael Andrews. Uh, We open on Miranda July making uh, an art video, and that's what she does in this film. She's an artist. She makes video art in a way. What she does is, well, I mean, I'll just explain what the first part is. She's got the camera focused on a postcard or a picture of two people standing at the beach. And she's got a microphone hooked up to like a boombox or something. And she's got a TV that is currently on static, you know, like snow. And she's using the volume knob on the TV to fade up and down the music or the sound of the TV. So it sounds like waves um, because they're standing in front of the ocean. And she's just like saying what the two people in the picture would be saying, sort of. And uh, it's very cool. And it's kind of quirky. And it sort of lets you know what you're getting into. This is Marina July's art video, art film, about people in love or something. I don't know. When I was rewatching it, 
it reminded me of when I first saw it. It was one of the first times, and by the way, when I first saw this film, I, I had to have been in high school, maybe right now, maybe in college. Maybe in college. Well, I don't know. But it's it's one of the first times I really felt like I was watching a real indie movie and not just like a badly made, a poorly made movie, you know? Like the film has like an indie look to it, but it was good, you know? There's a scene in the beginning of the film where John Hawks is currently divorcing or separating from his wife and he's talking to his kids who are just kind of like on a computer all the time, on the internet. This is the early 2000s. I should say specifically, this is 2005. And he's like trying to get his kids' attention and then he like gets an idea and he goes to the kitchen and he grabs some lighter fluid and he goes outside and he douses his hand in lighter fluid and then he lights it on fire. And in slow motion, you see him kind of realize that that fire's not going out and he starts waving his hand back and forth and then he starts hitting it on the ground while, you know, me and you and everyone we know, the title card just kind of comes up. Miranda July, she works for an, a cab company for elderly people. I think it's called Elder Cab. She just drives around elderly people. And she's driving a, an elderly gentleman to the shoe store. And there, she meets John Hawks. Oh, I should say, Miranda July, she plays a character named Christine Jesperson. John Hawks plays a character named Richard Swerzy. So Christine meets Richard at the shoe store where the older guy is getting some shoes. And he's like, hey, what about you? You want to get some new shoes? And um, and she's like, no, I'm, I'm fine. I mean, I have these shoes here. They keep kind of digging into my ankle here. And he says, like, you think you deserve that pain, but you don't. And she says, I don't think I deserve this pain. Um, And it's, it's the first kind of look into how the movie is um maybe a little bit pretentious. <laughs> If you go into this film with any sort of cynical attitude, if you're looking for the pretension, I feel like you're definitely going to find it. Because some of it is a little quirky, a little, I would say, uh, July-esque. George Saunders coined the phrase July-esque, and he said it was meant to say infused with wonder at the things of the world. And I think that's a pretty fair definition of July-esque. Uh, Christine is trying to submit for the uh, Center for Contemporary Art, and she goes and she has a VHS tape with some of her work on it, and uh, she gets in an elevator with this lady, and uh, she gets into an elevator with this lady, and she goes up, and and the lady's like, are you you trying to go to the offices because you need a certain key to get there? And she's like, oh, actually, aren't aren't you Nancy Harrington, the, you know, curator for this thing? I would love to submit my work, and Nancy gives her a card. She's like, okay, well, send it to this address, and... Christine is like, oh, well, that's here. And she's like, yeah, yeah, just send it there. And she's like, oh, well, I could just hand it to you. And she's like, oh, well, it would just get lost. And Christine's like, but I'm so close. And there's just kind of a two shot of them too. And she's just holding the tape in her hand. She could easily just hand it to Christine. And she's just like, nah, no. And she's like, okay. And she leaves. And as she's, she's walking out, someone grabs Nancy and is like, okay, hey, uh, let's go down, blah, blah, blah. And so they get into the elevator. And um, and yeah, so she's just got to like share this elevator ride with the person that basically just rejected her work. And she drops the tape. And they both just kind of look at her like, are you going to pick this tape up? The other lady picks it up and just hands it to her. And for a moment, like, Christine is like, do I take it? Do I just like... <laughs> but yeah, she does. She takes it. Um, There's a scene where the two brothers, Richard's kids... 
Peter and Robbie. They're both uh, fiddling on the computer and they're in like a chat room talking to some stranger. And they're basically like talking to each other like, oh, what, what should we type? And Robbie, the little kid, maybe like four or five, so adorable. And she's like, I, I don't know. And Peter's like, you got to remember, like, this is probably like some big gross guy. So, you know, we could, you know, whatever you want to write. And Robbie's like, put, I want to poop back and forth. Peter's like, what? And Robbie's like, you know, <laughs> I want to poop in her butt. <laughs> uh, I can't, I look, you poop into my butthole and I poop into your butthole back and forth forever. Uh, it's very weird, but it's just like this little kid, just his innocent childlike imagination. I, I, it's, it's very weird. Back and forth with the same poop forever. There's another cute moment with Robbie when he's uh, talking to his dad and he's trying to say like, yeah, mom gave us a chore wheel and I wish I could like pull it up, but it's so funny. And he's, he's just like very childlike describing it's a wheel and it's spinning and there's metal. Like he's just like trying to describe this chore wheel that they have. And it's just very cute. So there are a lot of characters in this movie. We've got Christine, Marina July, and uh, the elderly guy that she drives around, and uh, his lady, who we haven't really met, or we don't really meet much of. Uh, then we have John Hawks as Richard, his two sons, Peter and Robbie, and then we have his ex-wife. Uh, then we have John Hawks' co-worker, who right outside his house, he meets these two young girls who say they're 18 or almost 18 they're kind of like flirting with him and he's just like yeah sure you know he's not like buying it because they're also kind of making fun of him that whole all that stuff is very strange and then we also have john hawk's neighbor and and her daughter and the daughter is a very um precocious little girl Every time they go, um, like, to the store where John Hawks works, he works at, the, like, a shoe store inside of a bigger, like, shopping mall. And so when they go, like, she wants to go look at, like, the kitchen appliances and stuff for her hope chest when she gets married. And uh, she asks the attendant there, and she's like, is this a classic or is this going to go out of style in, say, the next 20 years? Uh, you know, she just asks things like that. It's very, you know, she's... I don't know. There's a great bit where Christine, she's got like these pink slippers that I believe she bought from Richard. And she writes me on one shoe and she writes you on the other. And she's just kind of wearing them and she's filming her feet, kind of like the me getting close to the you and the you like backing away, blah, blah, blah. It's very cute. I love it. Um, But again, when I was watching this last night, I really was kind of seeing the cheese factor. This is kind of a, a, a cheesy movie at times. Although I still very much love it. I love it. But yes, I do. I see it. I see it. Um, there's a cute moment, sort of, I guess, where Robbie is um, in the chat room again with the, the same anonymous person. And, uh, and the person's, you know, basically like, I keep thinking about the poop. It's getting me very hot. Um, I'm touching myself. Are you touching yourself? And Robbie looks down and his hands are sort of like right beside each other. And he can see that his thumbs, the sides of his thumbs are touching. And so he types, yes. Cute, I guess. Very straight. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't really know how to feel about all this. But um, I love this movie. I also love the the titular bit. Oh, one of the other things that the, the two brothers, they do on the computer a lot, is they'll make these um, artistic text drawings. I don't know what you call them. 
But, you know, it's just a bunch of periods and dashes and slashes that when, you know, you put them all in a certain order on a page, you can make it look like a tiger or something, you know? And uh, and Peter makes one that's just a bunch of periods and semicolons and commas. And he's saying the periods are people standing, the commas are people laying down, and the semicolons are people standing by someone laying down. This is me points to a period this is you points to another period and everyone we know love it there is a moment when basically the anonymous person in the chat room is like hey we have to meet i've got to meet you uh what about this park come to this park i'll be on this bench at 2 p.m cut to there's a scene in a park at a bench and nancy harrington goes and she sits on the bench and then you see Robbie walk up to the bench and he just kind of sits down and he looks over at Nancy and Nancy's kind of looking over and she looks ahead and she's still like looking around you know waiting for the the person to come the person in the chat room you know she keeps looking around Robbie's still just looking right at her and then she looks over at Robbie and then she looks back forward and then she kind of does a double take and like a slow double take and she looks back at Robbie and that's when she realizes that Robbie was the person (laughs) Uh, with the uh, the poop back and forth idea. And then Nancy just kind of has like a, just a little giggle on her face. She's just like, oh, Nancy, you silly person. What have you done? And um, she looks over at Robbie and she just gives him a little kiss on the cheek, like pats his head or something. And then she um, like gets up and she walks away. She's like, okay, well, obviously this can't happen. <laughs> like, um, Again, very strange, but also funny. I guess. Christine finally got into the museum. Nancy finally watched her video. And uh, at the end of the video, like, Christine cuts in and she's like, hey, like, you know, thanks for watching. I, you know, I, you probably didn't have to. Uh, you know, I, here's, you know, me in my room. I'm sure you're you're there in your big, nice house with your family. You know, cut to Nancy watching the video. She's just alone in her office. And it's very dark in there. Christine is just like, okay, just, you know, if just tell me, like, if if you watch this, if you're at this point of the video, just call this number. She holds up a 555 number. She's like, just call this number and say umbrella. I can't remember the word. Maybe it was umbrella. But yeah, then one day Christine is sitting on her bed and she gets a phone call from like a private number. She answers it and you hear umbrella. She hangs it up. So yeah, Nancy saw the thing and eventually Christine got into the museum and she's there with the elderly guy and um, it's a picture that she borrowed from the elderly guy's girlfriend and the elderly guy is in the video with Christine both talking on mics just kind of playing what would the uh, what the conversation would be and um, and it's kind of a cute moment. Things work out. For Christine and Richard, she goes over to his place, and it's cute. And then cut to every morning, by the way. Robbie has just been hearing this, like, ding, ding, ding in his neighborhood. Anyway, (laughs) he just kept hearing this noise. And he asked one day, he's like, what it was. And then his mom was like, well, look, all these streetlights are controlled by a computer, so that's the sound you hear. But one day, Robbie just kind of wakes up, and he goes out, and he follows the sound, and he meets this guy. By the way, this was definitely filmed in the valley, it looks like. I live in the valley. I love the valley. Oh, Zuzu. Um, so he finds this guy who's, like, standing at this uh, bus stop, and the guy has a quarter in his hand, and he's just, like, tapping a metal pole that's holding up, like, a street sign or a stop sign or something. And it's just, like, tap, 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 tap. And Robbie asks him, he's like, hey, what are you doing? And the old guy's just like, oh, I'm just passing the time. 
Bus shows up. Guy turns around, hands Robbie the quarter. Guy gets on the bus. Bus drives away. Robbie's looking at the sun. Tap, tap, tap. Every time he taps, the sun moves just a little bit. It literally is passing the time, you know? He stops it for a second, and he's just, like, looking at the sun. And, it, you know, it's just like a shot of the sun. And then you hear the tapping again. And then the sun just kind of keeps moving up. Fade to black. And that's Me and You and Everyone We Know by Miranda July. I gotta be honest, you know? Maybe this movie is not as perfect as I thought it was. It's very good. And, you know, it's... I'm just saying that maybe this one actually might move down just a tad. Just because, I mean, I don't know. Look, maybe I've gotten more cynical. Maybe this movie uh, is a little more... um, You can buy into the whimsy a little more if if you believe in uh, true love or something. (laughs) I'm fine. I'm fine. I wish I had more information on this movie, like the production and stuff. Uh, The score was performed largely on a modified Casio SK-1 sampling keyboard. Uh, shot using a Sony HDW F900 Cine Alta high definition digital video camera. Oh, it won the Camera Dior at the Cannes Film Festival, and uh, that's the award for the best first feature film. And Roger Ebert called it the fifth best film of the decade. So look, it is good. I love it. I believe in it. However, this is the first time where I was watching it where I was like, ooh, some of this is maybe a little too cheesy for me. Did I mention the goldfish thing? After they leave the shoe store the first time, you see this shot of this guy and his daughter getting into their car. And before he gets into his car, he puts this bagged goldfish on the roof of his car, his SUV, that they presumably just bought from a pet store, you know? And then he gets into the SUV and you see that he has forgotten to get the goldfish. So he drives away. They're on like a three-lane highway, and Christine is driving by him, and then they see the old guy kind of points out like, oh, look, there's a goldfish up there. And she's like, oh, we should stop him. And he's like, no, 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 we can't stop him. If he stops, the goldfish is going to go forward and fall off. If he goes faster, the goldfish is going to fly off the back. The best thing that could happen right now is for him to go at a steady speed forever. And Miranda July is just like, oh, this is sad. Blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, it's kind of cheesy and stuff. And they're just uh, kind of talking about stuff like this. Eventually, someone cuts the guy off. And the goldfish, he kind of slams on brakes real quick. And the goldfish flies forward. But it lands on the back of the car in front of them. And it just kind of sits there. And then that's when they roll down the window and they tell the guy, Hey, it was on the roof of your car. We'll go get in front of him to kind of keep him at a steady speed. <laughs> like, what a weird idea. So they go, and sure enough, they get in front of that car, and they just kind of keep it at a steady speed. And they're just kind of, you know, they can't see the goldfish, but they're just kind of sitting there like, oh, well, these are the goldfish's last moments. I feel so bad for that little girl who's got to watch this, blah, blah, blah. And then eventually the car that had the goldfish on it, you see that the goldfish rolls off, and the car, you know, gets out from behind Christine's car and drives by. And they see the car drive by, and there's no goldfish on it. And that's when they know. A bunch of whimsical stuff like this. My favorite scene. Oh, there's another good scene I didn't even write about. There's a scene where Miranda July kind of follows John Hawks out of the shoe store, like when he's leaving. And she kind of intercepts him. And they're walking down the same street. And she's like, oh, hey, what's up? We're just kind of walking the same direction. Crazy, right? And she's like, 
you know, I, I've got a, my car's over here. And he's like, yeah, I've got to get off over here at this street. And she's like, oh, so this is kind of like, you know, like we're a relationship. And uh, and that, you know, that store right there is the halfway point. And he's like, well, what is this here? She's like, oh, well, this is like the eight months part, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's kind of a quirky, again, I probably the episode of my podcast with the most uses of the word quirky. But it's another whimsical conversation between... Miranda July and John Hawks about how like this walk down the street could be a metaphorical for a life spent together or something. I think that's a cute scene. Even though recounting it now, I'm like, oh, this sounds pretentious. Would it move up or down? This one might, again, as I said earlier, it might move down just a tad. I still think it's very, very, very good. But, um, you know, I don't think it's as good as City of God or Under the Skin or The Fly or Solaris, um, other sci-fi films like that. And, you know, I believe that's going to do it for me today. I have nothing else to say on the matter. On the next episode of My Favorite Movies, we're talking about number 10, that's Scott Pilgrim versus the world, and number 9, a ghost story. Two love stories, one a little less sad than the other. We will determine which one that is on the next episode. Currently, both those films are streaming on Netflix, and a ghost story is also streaming on Canopy, because it is an A24 film. So uh, like and subscribe, rate and review us on iTunes, iPod, I don't care anymore. Really, it's just so great to rewatch my favorite movies. Like City of God, I had not seen that movie in like over 10 years, and it was just so cool to rewatch it. What a great movie. If there's anything you could take away from today's episode, it's that you should watch City of God on Netflix. And while you're there, watch Scott Pilgrim vs. the World and a ghost story so that you can catch up on the next episode of My Favorite Movies. Until then, bye bye